Uh, we're going to look at kind of three different uh, movements today. We're going to look at the context, we're going to look at the confusion, we're going to look at the confession. So if you're taking notes, it's kind of where we're headed, the context, the confusion, and the confession. So just to give you a little context, we've been in Mark chapter 8 for a while now, right? So if you've been with us, we spent seven weeks in Mark chapter 8, right? So we're just now getting to Mark chapter 9 last week and this week. We had the big moment a few weeks ago, Mark chapter 8, the proclamation of Jesus as the Messiah. The first time someone in, in the scripture, in this uh, book of Mark, that someone says, Jesus, you're, you're the Messiah. That's who you are. The, the moment happens and we have the watershed moment where everything after that is gonna be different. For the rest of the story in Mark, the rest of the narrative, everything is gonna be different. Jesus is moving towards his final purpose on the cross. And then uh, the next week, we studied kind of Jesus explaining what that actually is gonna mean, the path of Jesus. So he begins to explain what being the Messiah actually means, uh, that it's gonna involve suffering and pain and rejection and difficulty and dying and resurrecting. And we, we looked at the difficulty of the path of Jesus. And then last week, we got to look at the beginning of Mark 9 about the privilege of Peter, James, and John up on the mountain with Jesus. This, crazy moment where Jesus is seen for who he truly is, the son of God up on the mountain. They catch a glimpse of Jesus in all of his glory. They see the grace of Jesus displayed as uh, some of the men of the Bible are there with him on the mountain. And this is just this awesome moment. And, and now we're going to see what it's like this week to come down off the mountain. So we've been up on the mountaintop. We've all had these moments. We're going to come off the mountain and kind of down into the valley, so to, this, so to speak. And so all, all throughout the text we've studied recently, the theme is the inadequacy of the disciples, right? Uh, it's the failure of the disciples, uh, how they can't quite grasp it. And Jesus knows they have so much to learn. And, and even when he explains it clearly, he's like, let me lay it out for you on a platter. Like, let me be super clear. And they're like, what, Jesus? Like, I don't understand. And it's just this overwhelming theme so far in the book of Mark. They couldn't understand the path of Jesus. They couldn't understand the call to discipleship that Jesus lays out. And last week, they couldn't even understand what was happening on the mountain. They're like, let's stay here. Let's not leave. Let's, I don't want to go to the valley. Like, what does the resurrection mean? Like, they just never understand what Jesus is doing and saying. And we're going to come down off the mountain this week, and we're, not going to see, we're going to see that the rest of the disciples who have kind of been in the valley have been no better off. They have failed. They've come up short. They're finding themselves to be inadequate. So we're going to see kind of the beauty, the wonder, the awe of the mountain contrasted with the agony and the immediate confusion of the valley today. This is kind of where we're going today. So let's jump into Mark chapter 9. We're going to be in verse 14 through 29. And uh, I'm just going to read through the text and uh, we'll jump in. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV this morning. This morning. So if you're using one of our Bibles, might be a, a few words that are different. Page 706. All right. And when they came... To the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they weren't able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, 
Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Would you pray with me? Uh, God, thank you for your word. Uh, We trust that this is your word inspired by your Holy Spirit. And uh, we ask that you would give us a glimpse into who you are, your character, your nature, in such a way that would help us to to follow you more fully, to trust you more deeply. Uh, Just help us to have spiritual understanding, spiritual insight into your words that would leave us uh, gazing upon you with beauty and astonishment, God, this morning, longing to know you more deeply. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this for your beautiful name. Amen. So we're gonna look at kind of the, the confusion next. So we looked at the context, kind of where we've been. Now let's look at the confusion. So we come down off the mountain in verse 14, and the text tells us that Jesus, with Peter, James, and John, his kind of inner three disciples, they come down off the mountain, and there's this scene of confusion, this scene of chaos unfolding between three groups of people. So if you're taking notes, we've got three groups of people here. There's a crowd. There's the disciples and there's the scribes, the crowd, the disciples and the scribes. And all throughout this story, they're gonna interact in different ways and respond to Jesus in different ways. So what I want you to do is kind of pay attention to how you relate to these three groups of people. Maybe what group of people you find yourself most closely relating with as they relate to Jesus. So the crowd is surrounding the disciples. Uh, People are shouting, people are arguing. Like it's a crazy, chaotic, confusing scene. And Jesus is like, I leave for one day. Come on guys, like what happened? And what you need to know about the scribes, that these guys were the religious, the political leaders of the day. They were constantly trying to find a fault in Jesus. Constantly trying to trip him up and find a a hole in his armor kind of. And, And this is the moment where they're like really pumped about life right now. They're like, we got him. The disciples failed. Uh, and we got him, uh, let's, let's expose Jesus for who he really is. A, a fraud, a fake, and they're trying to expose Jesus. If we keep going in verse 15, it, it talks about how the disciples were trying to cast out this evil spirit. Earlier on in Mark, Jesus told the disciples that they had authority to go out and cast out evil spirits and perform these works that Jesus was doing, and presumably they were acting on these words of Jesus. They were trying to go out and fulfill this commission of Jesus. Jesus shows up and our three groups of people react in different ways, I'm sure. Um, I like to think the scribes are kind of like excited and, and both fearful. They're like, uh, is Jesus gonna like actually come through here? But we also kind of got him, like what's gonna happen? The disciples are relieved, you know, they're excited that Jesus is there and relieved, but also very embarrassed. Like what happened? Like all these people are looking at us and we failed. And the crowd runs to Jesus. I love this moment, so interesting to me. Like Jesus hasn't done anything. He's just like kind of strolled down off the mountain and they're like, whoa, Jesus. And everyone runs to Jesus and greets him and wants to see him. So interesting to me. You know, it's not really cool to run. You know, like when was the last time you actually ran like on purpose to something? Like not in your Nike shorts and your gear, like trying to get fit, but like you ran to something other than trying to get fit, right? It's not really cool. 
Like if, you, if some of you, if you've been in, uh, if you lived on campus in college, right, so you, you see that kid running across the quad at like 7.59 on the way to, to class. And it's even harder to be cool when you're running with a backpack. Like it's just the weights flying around and you know, they have those people that they don't really want to be uncool. So they kind of walk fast and they run for a few steps and it's like, come on, just own it. You're late, just go, just run. And it's, not, it's hard to be cool. It's hard to be dignified when you're running. Like what caused this crowd to just throw their dignity out of, out of the window and just run to Jesus? They're astonished by who he was. Something about who Jesus was, was interesting, was captivating to them. I want this to be my response to Jesus, to see who he is, to gaze upon who he is and to run to him, uh, to desire to be with him, to know him deeper. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Jesus asks, what are you arguing about with them? So we know from the original language here that Jesus is addressing the scribes. So he says, what are you arguing about with them? And someone else speaks up. So someone from the crowd, you can imagine you probably couldn't see him at first. You know, some voice that you just hear begins to talk. You see the crowd begin to part as this man comes forth talking about what's happening in this situation. And he says, teacher, I brought my son to you. He's being controlled by a spirit. It throws him to the ground. He's foaming at the mouth. Like, it's terrible, Jesus, but, but you weren't there. So I came to your disciples and, and they weren't able to do anything. You know, Jesus looks over at the disciples and they're like, oh, they're all like looking around. Like, is he looking at us? Like, they're embarrassed in this moment. Confused at why they were not successful at what Jesus had commissioned them to go out and accomplish. And Jesus interjects here with a pretty harsh uh, word. And to be honest, I don't really know uh, why he says this. Different scholars um, kind of interpret this differently, but he says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? This seems kind of like a harsh word, like Jesus, are you frustrated? Are you exasperated? And that's not really what I want Jesus to be like. I kind of only want Jesus to be the kind and docile Jesus who never says anything tough. And uh, we, we... we don't know much about who he's addressing and why he's saying it, but I'm pretty sure he's not talking to the father here. He's not scolding the father for bringing his son to his feet. Uh, he's not talking to the father. And I, I really don't know much more than that. God, Jesus is really complex. God is really complex. And I don't understand the, the heart of what Jesus is getting out here, uh, even with like a pretty good amount of research. So uh, we're just gonna keep going and see what else God has for us in the text. So Jesus concludes his words of exasperation with bring him to me. I love this moment. It's like a movie to me. It's like in slow motion. You know, it's like, bring the boy to me. What is Jesus gonna do? You know, the anticipation is building. The crowd presses in, you know, they're circling Jesus and the disciples and the scribes and this father. Everyone is on edge at this point. And we're told that at that moment, the boy immediately kind of goes into this convulsion, rolling around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus presses in further. Uh, asking how long it's been happening. And that's, I think that's really important. We're gonna to get to that later. But the father lets us into this has been happening since childhood. It's led to suicide attempts and fire and by drowning. And this is just what the enemy does. This is what evil does in the world. It robs us of wholeness in life. Now, sin and evil has caused whatever is happening in this boy. And an evil spirit is hiding behind it in some way. Jesus is just gonna expose evil for what it truly is. Uh, that evil leads to death, that it leads to destruction. 
It's a distorting of God's design for us, and it's going to be contrasted with what we happen when we encounter Jesus, which leads to life and wholeness and fullness. And the Spirit acts out immediately upon, Je- uh, upon being brought before Jesus, uh, knowing that its time is short. I want you to feel the desperation of the Father in this story. Like, really put yourself in the Father's shoes. Can you imagine watching your child go through this for years? Those of you that have kids or some of you have little nieces or nephews, can you just imagine watching something like this take over your child over and over, having no way to to do anything about it and constant near-death experiences, the pain that he's felt, the fear that he has been living in for so long? constantly worried that his child is in danger, and now it's happening in front of a whole crowd. You, you know this father is tired. Like he's just tired of fighting this. Um, he's done everything he knows to do, and even his kind of last-ditch effort of Jesus and the disciples has failed. His hope is close to gone in this moment, I, I, would, I would think. Um, but his fight is not gone. Uh, He hasn't fully given up, and he he gives one last request to Jesus. Jesus, if you can do anything, like anything at all, just relieve some of the pain, some of the difficulty. Like, help me out at least a little bit. Have compassion on us. Just put yourself in his shoes. How long has he been fighting? How many sleepless nights full of tears, but he has not given up? just want to encourage you. if, If you feel like you're in a place right now where whatever you're fighting has just gotten the most of you. Like, like you just can't put another foot uh, in front of the other one. You can't fight it anymore. Some sin has gripped you for so long and you're just tired of fighting. You're just tired of believing, tired of uh, putting your heart into it, tired of confessing. Like, just keep fighting. Keep fighting. Don't give up. See the will of the Father in this moment to keep fighting. And Jesus is gonna respond to this Father in just an awesome way right here. He's gonna say, all things are possible if you just believe. Jesus is saying there's no force, assuredly not the one that's in the little boy at this moment, that can conquer the, the power of God. And I'm so thankful that Jesus gives this promise, but it also kind of presents a problem, right? Jesus is saying all things are possible with, with belief. It's like, what do I do with, with kind of the fact that my heart still has unbelief in it? Like, what about that? Like, that kind of presents a problem. And I think the father understood this. And uh, so he's going to give us a, just an awesome response to Jesus' word here, his, his promise. And we're going to look at the confession for a moment. So we've looked at the context. We've looked at the scene of confusion. Now let's look at this confession. The father just exclaims. Like, it just comes out of his heart. You don't even have to think about it. He gives one of the most profound confessions, I think, in the scriptures. And he says, I believe Help my unbelief. Help me overcome the unbelief that is still present in my heart. And this is just real life right here. This is raw, real, like real life. Like the scriptures are not um, putting a mask on to think everything's always easy, that faith is always easy, that belief is always easy. I love that the scriptures are real in these moments. The father has come to Jesus for power over this illness in his son, but Jesus wants more than just to do a miracle in this, morning, in this moment. Jesus wants the heart of this father. And he presses in, he calls him to put his trust fully in God, and this father confesses. He said, I, I have belief, I have faith in you a little bit, 
but I also have all this unbelief and I just have so much spiritual weakness, Jesus. Can you help that? Create in me a heart that believes more fully. He brings it all to Jesus. And I think this is just a picture of real faith right here. Like, let's just pretend like we're not in this setting in church where it's like faith is easy. Because it's, it's not, is it? Real faith is tough. It's aware of how inadequate it is most of the time. I think that real faith is not perfect faith. If, if it were perfect, if it were complete, then it really wouldn't be faith anyways. The Father doesn't suddenly amass efficient, a sufficient amount of faith in his kind of spiritual faith meter, and then Jesus reacts. No, the, the Father truly believes in this moment when he risks everything on what little faith he does have. He risks everything on what little faith he does have. So if you're taking notes, uh, I'd encourage you to write this down. I, I believe real faith is unrelenting openness to God. Real faith is unrelenting, unconditional openness before God. When we yield our insufficiency to his sufficiency, we're gonna see that the result is that a, a mixture of belief and unbelief in someone's heart is not an obstacle for God. Jesus sees the faith of the Father and acts in compassion, right? He commands the spirit to leave. The boy is delivered from the spirit and is restored to right health. Jesus goes on and tells the disciples, you weren't relying fully on God. You weren't praying. You weren't relying on the power of God through prayer. And that's why you, you couldn't cast it out. You were relying on yourself. This is the point in the week where I hit a wall. And so encouraged in one way by the fact that my unbelief that's still in my heart isn't an obstacle for God in my life. Like that's an encouraging thing. Gives me peace, gives me hope, gives me confidence. Um, I'm so encouraged by the honesty of the Father's response to Jesus. But I was so frustrated that my honesty with Jesus often results in, in a different outcome. When I come to Jesus with what I feel like is my deepest request, all the honesty I have and, and a different result happens than, than I want. Why does, why does that happen? And, and this is where um, I, I really relate to the disciples in this story. I, I wanna tell you just a, a quick story about where this passage really hits home for me. Uh, when I was uh, between my sophomore and junior year in college, I had one of these moments where I just like had to get out of my bubble, right? So a lot of us have these moments. It's oftentimes, sometimes in our university studies where we're like, I gotta get out of Nashville. I gotta get out of my hometown. Like I just gotta get out. I gotta go travel. I gotta go do something. I gotta find myself. I gotta be on my own. This, this moment happened for me. And I decided to just go on this three month trip uh, to West Africa and Ghana and just do this mission trip by myself. Just like, I'm, I'm gone, like I'm doing it. And freaked my mom out. She hated it, but like I was just going. And I was gonna work with this uh, Ghanaian missionary. He's from Ghana to Ghana. His name was Mustafa. So when I found that out, I was like, I'm sold. Like I'm going to work with this dude. It's purely to be able to say that I, I worked along Mustafa. And this guy is planting churches in unreached villages in his home country. It's pretty crazy. Like people never heard the gospel. He's going and telling them about Jesus, planting churches in their villages. And so I got to work alongside this guy for a summer and it was a really crazy summer. Amazing thing happened. Um, but at every village we went to, we went to probably a hundred villages and at the end of kind of our time with these villages, they would bring the, the sick of their village to us. People struggling with uh, suffering from blindness or uh, women suffering from barrenness or 
people that had malaria or scorpion stings and they would bring uh, these people to us and say, can you pray for him? Can you ask God to heal him? We would pray for him, we'd pray for him. And I remember a moment near the end of my trip where I had prayed for so many people and for some reason had not seen any immediate answers to those prayers. And we were at kind of two and a half month mark uh, near the end of our trip. And we had just planted a church in this village. We'd seen 80 people who had never heard of Jesus place their faith in Jesus. We were like planting a church in their village, like awesome moment. And right as we get ready to leave, they, they bring this guy to me. And they say, hey, he's suffering from epileptic fits. Uh, he, he falls down and he foams at the mouth. It's been happening since childhood. And they, they bring him to me. He's got burns all over his arms from where he's falling in, into fires. And I thought of this story. I'm like, okay, you just do, do what, what you know to do. It's like, I'll, I'll pray for him. Like, yes, I, 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 want, I want to see him healed. So we did what we knew to do. We, we got around him, we prayed for him, we laid hands on him, we asked God just like with all of the faith I knew how to have, like all of the belief that I could muster up in my heart, just throwing it all at God, like, please heal this guy. Not for my sake, not so I can see some sign, but for their sake. So they know that their faith is resting in a God who cares about them, who is here and in their life. Like, please God, I'm just pouring my heart out. We finished praying. Nothing happens and we, we leave the village and we continue doing the things that we're gonna do. So it's like, I know what these disciples felt to pray so earnestly for something and for nothing to happen. Be like, why did that not work? To feel like God didn't care, like the promises of Jesus might've run out in my life. Like God wasn't willing to answer even though he was able to. And this is why this has been a tough week to prepare a teaching for you guys because this is, just tough. Like, have you ever been there? Like the enemy is just running all over you and you feel like you've tried everything. You feel helpless in, in the face of what you're facing. You've tried everything you know to try and it still seems like Jesus is up on the mountain and doesn't care about the valley that you're in. Have you ever felt this way? There's physical healing that you've desired for yourself or for a loved one and you've prayed for it. Nothing's happening. You've prayed for God to deliver you from this sin and nothing is happening. Why won't he deliver you? Have you ever felt this way? Are you, are you feeling that way today? It's like where my heart has been this week. I've just been angry with God. I've been frustrated with God. And the churchy question that I wanted to ask, like that I was tempted to ask is, okay, so what is the thing in your life that you believe is impossible for God? What is that thing? You know, like Jesus said, all things are possible, just believe. The guy put his faith in Jesus and his son was healed and this is awesome moment. So what is the thing that you feel like is beyond the reach of the power of God? Like, what is that in your life? And then I could say like, put that thing in God's hands, all your belief, all your unbelief and God will answer you. But I just felt cheap to come here with you guys and ask that question in the face of my experience with this story. It didn't feel authentic because uh, it left me with so many questions in the face of what I've experienced in faith. It's like, okay, so has Jesus lost his power today? Like, why do I not get to see these same outcomes? I feel like I've given everything to you, God. And you didn't heal my friend of cancer. Do I not have enough faith? Are my prayers broken? Like, what's going on? I just went into some deep frustration with God this week. It's like all these unanswered prayers like welling up in my heart and I just was so frustrated. 
Not doubting that God was able, but kind of doubting that God was willing to. Why? Why do people pray so earnestly and you don't answer them how you say you will in this story? It's like, all things are possible, just believe. It's like, well, I believe all that I know how and all things don't feel possible, God. Like, have you ever felt this? Here's the deal. Like, I'm not out of the woods on this. <laughs> I wanted to say that there's a breaking point, like midweek, Wednesday, man, I understood God. And I can give you this cool little night, nice little sending piece with three points to like explain the heart of God and his willingness to answer prayer. I can't do that. I can't microwave the journey that God has me on with this. I, w- I wish I could. It's like a deep, theologically robust topic that we're wrestling with here. And it will take many of us the journey of a lifetime to wrestle with God on. And many of us uh, will still fail to understand. And in spite of that, in spite of the wrestling, in spite of the, the journey that I've been on this week, I wanna take a stab at, at a couple things that I feel like God has been teaching me. A couple things that the Holy Spirit has begun to show in my heart based on my experience and my journey in the word this week. So I just wanna give you a couple things. And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to, to write these down. First one, this story is not just about healing. This story is about an invitation to faith in Jesus. This story is not just about healing. The story is about an invitation to faith in Jesus. So if the story was just about healing, think about this for a second. Jesus would have healed the boy immediately, right? But he pauses. The boy comes forth and the, the boy's like rolling on the ground and Jesus waits. He asks the father, like, how long has this been happening? He presses into the heart of this father. He desires more uh, than just the miracle. He doesn't just wanna answer a prayer. He wants to deal with the heart of the prayer, of the one praying. He wants us, he wants relationship with us, with his creation. I think this is God's ultimate goal with all of us in all of our lives. To be glorified through his restored relationship with his creation. Like that's God's end game, to be glorified, to be magnified through the, the display of his grace as he is restored with his creation. Like, that's all good, but I don't want that to be the, the purpose of God most of the time, right? It's like, what I want is to be in control. I want God to be my cosmic genie in a lamp that if I rub it the right way and the right number of times, out pops genie, and I ain't never had a friend like him. You know, it's like, I want, I want God to be my genie in a lamp. And that's not how it works. Faith is not a formula. Prayer is not a formula. If it were a formula, who would really be in control? We would, and that, that would make us God. It's like, no, I don't want God to be God. I want Larkin to be God. That's, that's really what I want. That's what comes up in my heart. And if Larkin is God, what Larkin gets is ease of life, happiness, comfort, no hardship, no pain, no tears. Like if Larkin is in the driver's seat of his universe, I get a painless and happy life from my God in a genie lamp. The problem with that is that two weeks ago, Jesus We studied this passage where Jesus told his disciples that the path to following him most likely will involve pain and suffering and rejection and hardship. He says there's a cost of discipleship that very well might be tied to difficulty. And the invitation is not to just join into the victory of the cross, of the resurrection. It's not just to celebrate the victory of the life of Jesus. It's an invitation into the fullness of the experience of Jesus's life. And that'll include hardship and suffering and difficulty. 
Think about the moment uh, when Jesus is in the garden before he gets arrested. If you've never heard this story, Jesus is in the garden by himself praying to God the night before he gets arrested and crucified. You remember what he prays? He says, God, I know that there's victory on the way. Like resurrection is great. Can you take the pain and the suffering from me? Can you take the cup of suffering away from me in this moment? Jesus prays that. Think about a, a different place. In 2 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul is praying about this affliction that has been in his life for so long. And he's praying over and over and over. The apostle Paul, God, take this from me. In both cases, Jesus and with Paul, God's will was that the difficulty of their hardship would accomplish a more beautiful and more eternally valuable purpose that, not, that would have not been otherwise attainable. God had a bigger plan in these moments. So if you remember, Jesus concludes his prayer in the garden, but not my will, God, your will be done. Take the cup and the suffering from me, but not my will. Remember with Paul, God tells him in response to his prayer, says, Paul, my grace and my power will be displayed most powerfully in the middle of your weakness, in the middle of your hardship, in the middle of your pain. My grace is sufficient for you. So how do we reconcile these two parts of God's heart? A God that is willing and able to heal and a God who sometimes doesn't for unknown reasons to us. I don't know if we can always fit them together nice like puzzle pieces. And I hate sometimes that I can't understand God it's like, I wish I understood fully the mind of God in these moments. But I believe that he is a loving God. I believe that he is a good, loving father who knows what is best for his creation. And he has always made it clear that being close to him, being intimate relationship with his son Jesus, being made into the image of Christ, that is the ultimate purpose for our lives. And if God allows me to experience some degree of hardship for the sake of knowing him more deeply, and that is a loving thing for God to do. So if this story is not just about healing, if, if Jesus just wasn't after the miracle, he was after the faith of, of this father. If it's about a faith invitation, then, then what do we do? What, do? what do we do in response to this story? This is the second thing. I think we respond like the father. We respond like the father. We continually come to Jesus like the Father does. That is like the only anchor that I could find for my heart this week in this story. It's like no matter what group of people in this story you find yourself identifying with, we respond like the Father. Like maybe you're like the crowd, like you're observing Jesus from afar, you're like excited and you come to church, but you're not really giving your life fully to him, not really trying to grasp fully who he is. Maybe you're like the disciples You've given everything and you keep coming up short because you're kind of relying on yourself. You're, you're not putting any faith in Jesus for any power in your life. Maybe you've been like one of the scribes and you've been skeptical. You've looked for these moments to trip Jesus up, to find um, holes in the armor of, of faith. Maybe you're like the child or the father going through a terrible life circumstance and unable to clearly navigate your circumstances desperately pleading with God, but filled with unbelief. All of us, no matter where you're at on that spectrum, if you're all of those, we all come to Christ and we trust in his compassion. We come to him and place our faith in Jesus, knowing that it's risky, knowing that it's scary. 
all of the belief, all of the unbelief, mixed up and messy in our hearts. And we lay it before Christ, trusting him that he knows what's best. And we cry out, Jesus, I believe. Help me overcome the unbelief that is still in my heart. Create in me a heart that believes more firmly. We keep praying, we keep asking, we keep trusting God with the results. So as we end our time here this morning, um, I don't just want us to leave this text and be like, oh, that was, that was a good story. Like, what do we leave here with? What, what do we wrestle with? And I, I want to give you kind of two questions to wrestle with in our time of communion and throughout this week. The first question is, what person in the story do you relate most to? So if you're writing, if you're taking notes, uh, write this down. It, what person in the story do you relate most to? Take, take an inventory kind of where your heart is. Are you just observing Jesus from afar? Not fully giving your life to his will and his purposes, like the crowd. Are, are you a disciple uh, in this moment? You're relying on your own means, your own power, uh, your own uh, means to uh, conquer whatever is in your life, to, to go forward in your life. Uh, are you a scribe? You're trying to find holes in faith. Are you the father? Are you just desperate for God, but unable to grasp what happens with your unbelief in those moments? What person in this story do you relate most to? Second question, what areas do you struggle to trust God fully? What areas do you struggle to trust God fully? So all of us have these places in our hearts, right? Where we're just like, don't know if I wanna trust you with how I spend my money or how I deal with my sexuality or how I you know, fill in the blank, job, spouse. You know, we, we all have these things in our lives and the, the temptation is to think, I, I don't trust him fully, so I'm just gonna be indifferent about it and kind of keep going on the path that I've been on. And what I wanna encourage you to do, find those areas in your heart. Like, be honest with yourself. Don't run from them. Bring them before Jesus and say, I, I trust you, but I also don't in a lot of ways. There's unbelief in my heart, Christ. Have compassion on me. Help me overcome my unbelief. We come to Christ as the Father came to Christ, trusting in the compassion of God. So uh, we're gonna end our time and, and go to communion. And this is a time where we go to the table and we get uh, the cup with juice and the bread. And, and we just remember like the only reason that I have any hope is because Christ died on the cross, that he was willing to endure the pain and the suffering for our sake. We remember it, we get around it, and that is the only thing that allows us to come to Christ with our unbelief, with our hardship, with our pain, and say, God, help me. I trust your compassion, but help me overcome my unbelief. Let's take all of our belief, all of our unbelief, let's bring it to God. Let's pray earnestly with each other and trust his compassion. Let's pray.